Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Our theme this month is Jesus in the Marketplace. Now, Pastor Claude, as you know, is on long service with beautiful Pastor Carolyn, but this is a theme that he has prayed over. He has spoken about with us as leaders and he's really wanted us to impart this to the church. The reason being, I've got here that we have to understand only 2% of Christians will actually ever work full-time in ministry. So when you think about those numbers, that means the other 98% of us are working out in the marketplace, that the marketplace, our career becomes our calling. It becomes our ministry area, if you like. Now, I'm not talking about those of us that serve a church, lead a ministry area, come on a Sunday, we're on roster. We're putting that to one side. We're really talking about what you spend the majority of your paid working life doing. So firstly, can I say that working in the marketplace is not a compromise. Stop seeing it like that. Stop thinking you're less spiritual because you're not a pastor. You don't have that title. You're not working here at the church. Because as we've discovered, most of us are not called to do that. And that is perfectly okay. The ones that are, you see, uh, have that calling. I was gonna use Pastor Chris as my example. Lana and I were talking about Pastor Chris earlier. And we're saying that Pastor Chris has his ability to care, that pastoring literally is his calling. It's all over him. It doesn't change in whatever circumstance he goes to. You can see that, that he has this gift, this ability. Am I right? Someone say, yes, come on. Everyone's like, mm, no, <laughs> of course not. We all agree. We all agree with me, okay? All right, so... When we think of our career being our main ministry, we really have to focus on that. And I don't know about you, but I've seen a separation that's happened. And what I've got here is, I don't believe anyone here thinks of themselves as a Sunday Christian, that I just come to church on a Sunday. But there seems to be a separation that even though we don't necessarily think that, we don't view our career time as ministry time. We also don't have that viewpoint. We see it as work. We see it as a job. We might be passionate about it. We're educated, we're skilled to do it, but we don't see our lives in Christ having much to do with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. So I think it should be an opportunity for us to shine or share Jesus. Our careers are made for that too. But how can we do this? How do we change this mindset? Firstly, we acknowledge our challenges. And I'm a big one at looking at current culture and what we're going through. We live in a modern progressive world. What does that mean? Pretty annoying. (laughs) Especially for Christians, it's not easy. Gone are the days where you could rock up to work and preach at people. It's just not gonna fly anymore. You will be fired. You'll be known as that nutter Christian that once worked there. (laughs) So you really will have no impact on the audience that you want to have impact on. But the opposite is also true. We can fit so well into this modern progressive world that people don't even know that we are Christians. Or they may know you're a good person because you go to church on a Sunday. Christianity gets reduced to just being a good person when it's so much more than that. It doesn't change anybody's lives if we are just the good people that go to work. Yeah, all right. So to me, our relationship with God needs to be like a marriage. People should know that you're married. People shouldn't think you're single at work. If you have a marriage going on, they should know about your spouse. You should talk about them. They should understand that that relationship is a part of your everyday life. Will they know the private areas of your marriage, things that are between you and your spouse? Of course not. There'll be areas that you don't share with others. And just like your relationship with God, people need to understand that you have one. They may not understand the relationship, they may not know God personally, but they understand that there's something going on here that's bigger than you. And it doesn't just make you a good person, it transforms you inside out. So how do we get these two worlds to meet? How do we do it effectively, that people don't just look at us and go, yep, there's another Christian? 
Because you know what? It's easy to be a Christian in church. So many people whinge about how hard it is. You know, that worship song, that preacher, this, that happened, that, that happened. But I tell you what, at least we have the same core beliefs. We can worship God together freely. We can talk about what He's doing in our lives. We can even correct the things that need change. We are constantly bringing ourselves to the altar and affecting change. So when you're tempted to complain about church, remember that. Remember the good things that are going on here and the ability you have to fit right in and talk with other people that love Jesus just like you do. I was challenged by this thought of Pastor Claude's, the meeting place. So church is the training ground for the marketplace. And at first I didn't agree with that thought. I'll be honest. I thought, how? You know, I went to uni. I studied. I have education. That's what prepared me for my job. But then I really started to think about other skills that I have. I'm going to rattle them off for you now. No, no. <laughs> Not, not that big headed. But I started to think about when you break it down and I put my education to one side, I put the skills I learned out in the workforce or at uni or wherever you trained at, put that to one side. What else do I know? Things about how to work with people well, how to love people, be resilient, get back up again, my character, all those things I could go on. How do I know these things? Who has taught them to me? And I tell you what, it's a life of being in church from a child upwards. I have learned them incidentally. And sometimes I didn't even know they were skills that I had until I needed to use them. So becoming more Christ-like, learning in the training ground of church makes you a better employee. 100% every time. If you are following Christ closely, if you're trying to become more like Him, you will be a better employee, a better boss, whatever um, frame you're in, you will definitely be better at it. How do we break it down? I think the first step we need to do individually is look at the life of Jesus and realise that majority of His life was spent in the marketplace. Three short years in ministry, the other 30 was spent in the family business, working with people, adapting, using skills, speaking to them about God and whatever else was going on in His life. But you know, the other thing that I think is really relevant, and it's something I've been studying and talking about with Bobby, is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit If I reduced it down, it's essentially a list, a list of things that we should be displaying as Christians. But it's so much more than that because you know what? The fruit of the Spirit has not and is not being used to its full potential. And why I say that is because the fruit of the Spirit equals power in your life if you have it. The Holy Spirit will literally help you gain the skills you need to succeed in your walk, in your family life, in your career. Your career is what we're focusing on today. And I'm not saying it's any more important than those other two things, but that's our focus. That's our lens for today. So I wanna look at this Scripture together. Galatians 5, we're gonna start at verse 16. Are you ready? Cool. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit craves. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under any obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now here's a list for you. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, enviness, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the Kingdom of God. I've come out of the gate with quite a strong Scripture, I realise that. 
But this Scripture is one that we often take from verse 21 onwards. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit and that's the nice part, what the Holy Spirit gives us. But as Christians, we also need to understand what He doesn't give us, what's part of our sinful nature, because it's natural to have a sinful nature. It's natural to have the desires of the Holy Spirit for them to be at war. That is normal. But you know what? When you go to war, guess who wins? The strongest will always win. So if your sinful nature is stronger than your Holy Spirit given one, it will win. Now we look at these sins and when I looked at them, I thought, okay, when we come to Christ in churches, we talk a lot about sexual immorality, wild parties, drunkenness, and we say we need to eliminate those sins from our lives. They're the big ones I think we talk about with our young people especially. But I want you to look at this list and we're gonna put it in the frame of a workplace. Hostility towards colleagues or bosses, quarrelling at work, blindly being so ambitious that we tread on others to get to the top, going behind people's backs to complain about decisions that have been made. A lot of these things will not happen in church life when you're around Christians. You may be a great Christian in church life, but guess what? Are you one when you go out in the workplace or are you practising these behaviours? And you know what? If you are, do not dismay because guess what? The Word says it's natural. It is part of your sinful nature, but it doesn't need to end there. It needs to be something you're aware of. It's what we do moving forward that counts believing that the Holy Spirit comes to convict and to change. So can I encourage you to look at that list in your own private time and ask God to convict you on those things that you're doing in the workplace. And we all do it to understand that, you know what, I might not be living a sexually immoral life, but guess what? I do complain constantly about my boss to my other colleagues. I don't like what's going on. I argue with people all the time. You know, are those the things that are becoming commonplace in your life? Can I just say I've been there? Um, I was going to work with such an attitude. I was fed up, I was stressed and I was expecting my days to be bad. You know, you, you get what you expect, let's be honest. If you're going there with that attitude, that's what happens. But eventually it turned into me complaining about every decision that was made to anyone that would listen. I became a complainer. One day I went to work and I was praying and I was complaining. Praying, complaining. There's <laughs> a fine line sometimes. But I was so fed up. Do you know what? Most of the things I complained about were out of my control. They were not my decisions to make. I had to just roll with them. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, where's your joy? Like, I don't have any, (laughs) there's none. There's none in this workplace, no one has joy. And I realised I'm responsible for bringing that joy, that my attitude is my responsibility. So I've decided that no more excuses, no more reasons for why I have an attitude or why I complain, rather, what am I going to do about it and what can I do to change it? Complaining literally sucks the joy out of every room that you're in. The more you complain, the joy just seems to go on out and there's no room for it anymore. As a teacher in my role, I set the tone for the classroom. If I'm in a bad mood, the kids know about it. Do you remember when you're at school and you'd go in the room, you know, the teacher would start and you're like, great, we're in for a rough ride today. I've realised that very quickly, that my attitude, my how I display my positivity or negativity affects the students around me. So I'm up to the point where I say, Holy Spirit, guide me, correct me. If I need that harsh word, then do that and let me change. Give me the grace to change. Amen. So that's what we shouldn't be doing, those things. And I'll leave it up to you to get the Holy Spirit to put His finger on those things. I can guarantee you there'll be things that He will challenge you on in the workplace. But let's move down to verse 22. But what does the Holy Spirit produce? He produces the kind of fruit in our lives. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. So you can practise them as much as you want, pretty much. Make it your mantra. Make it something that you do on the daily, that you practise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross and they've crucified them there. So it's a decision. It's a decision to nail something. If I decide to put a picture up at home, I make the decision, I physically go and do it. We must do this with our sinful desires, nail them and leave them where they're supposed to stay. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives and let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So I wanna break down these gifts of the Spirit. I'm gonna go quickly because I have a feeling I'm not gonna get through them. So I'm gonna speak really, really fast. All right, first one is love, which I get told I do talk too fast. So just, no, don't wave at me, but just... Love, love is the big one. Matthew 5, 46. If you only love those that love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now that's a short excerpt from the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus literally sat with people and instructed them on how to do life, how to be better as Christians and how to actually show that you care about people. Love is when it's hard. Love means even when it's hard, when you don't like the person. We've confused love for like many times. Well, I don't like that person. That's okay. You're called to love them regardless. Some people you work with, you'll not be friends with. You won't hang out on the weekends. You won't have a chat. You've not been asked to do that. But love means that you're there for them, that you're there to listen to them, to care when they need you, that you've got their back as a colleague or as a boss, whatever capacity that you're in, that you choose to look at them as Christ would look at them. Joy, I love this one. Joy is possessing joy as a choice. It has to be your choice to do. We choose whether to value God's presence, promises and work in our lives. We choose it every day. We will either honour it or we will dishonour it. Let's be honest, that is our choice. But when we yield to the Spirit, He opens our eyes to God's grace. Then He fills us with joy. So when you can't see the joy, when you can't see a reason for it, ask God to fill you with His grace, to look at those students and go, God created them. What a miracle they are that I get to do this job. When I'm working on checkouts, you know what? I think, oh, I don't wanna do this. But guess what? God brings people into your lives and you have the ability to bring joy to them that day and the next and the next. Sometimes joy means looking for the good and sometimes you will have to look hard. There may not seem to be it, but I guarantee you in every situation you're in, there is something good because if people are in the situation, guess what? God created them for good. So even though they're a pain in your neck, God loves them. All right. Wherever you work, bring the joy. Try and be that person that brings it. Bobby was telling me, (laughs) Bobby likes to bring fun into the workplace. He'd sing songs. We don't encourage that at home, but but he likes to do it at work. So he gets all this singing out before he comes home and annoys me. Um, He likes to tell jokes. He says he does all these things to make the office lighthearted. Now I said to him, if I did that in the classroom, the kids would literally go nuts like crazy. If I'm singing and, you know, it wouldn't work. So my way of bringing joy is to be positive with them, to meet with them one-on-one, to play a game with them, maybe throw a ball. Whatever it is, I bring the joy in that way. So can I encourage you to look at your workplace and see what the workplace environment's like. Bring the joy that's appropriate for the workplace. Because if you come dressed as a clown or you know something that's just completely off-centre, people may not appreciate it. So bring the joy, but also bring wisdom with it. Be that person that reads the room and understands what it needs. Because the Holy Spirit in you will allow you to have that wisdom, to know what's needed in that time. Peace. Actually, before I go to peace, I've put here that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I love that Scripture. And we say it to kids all the time, but what it means is that it gives us the strength to accomplish those hard things, those horrible days, those meetings that we are really regretting or going, I'm gonna go into this badly. Joy gives you a strength to move forward. 
always. Peace. I love this Scripture. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you get to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Part of every job is bringing peace in difficult situations. There is no job on this earth that doesn't require someone that's a peacemaker because you're going to have conflict. You cannot keep the peace all the time. That's not possible. But what you do on the other side of the conflict, that's what counts. Peace ultimately should be our goal, always in the workplace. Not discord, not dissension, not disunity, but rather peace. How do I get to where I need to get to with this person? How do I get on the other side of this problem and develop peace? That should be our goal. So how do you contribute to that in your workplace? If there's gossip going on, if there's discord, are you joining in? Do you stir that pot? We've all done it, let's be honest. But do you display this such a spirit of peace that people come to you with their problems, in their turmoil, with things they can't solve because they understand there's something different about you? Can you make clear, peaceful decisions when others can't? The workplace needs more people who are less emotional and more peaceful and calm when faced with things that are difficult. Patience. I don't like this one, I'll be honest. Um, I don't, I find it hard to display, <laughs> display patience. I like things to be done, I like them to be done quickly and I don't see the point of a lot of things. But guess what? <laughs> patience is God's gift to me because it makes me see others as I can't normally, to give them the grace to grow and change. When a meeting, you know, the meeting could have been an email, the meeting gets tossed around ideas that you think, oh, I've just spent an hour with that. The boss that maybe talks down to you or talks to you in a way that you don't really like, that new person that's training that you're frustrated with, the gift of patience is vital in those times because that makes people feel valued, that you've given them the time to grow, that you've listened to them, even with crazy ideas. And when you don't understand what's going on, that patience is the gift that keeps on giving. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is our advantage. It's an advantage to be used. It sets us up to be the best in the marketplace. And that's not so we can be better than other people or climb the ladder faster, but it's rather that people see a difference in us and we draw people to Christ because we are different. That's the difference that counts. Not the fact that I've climbed that ladder so fast with all my wonderful spiritual gifts, but rather those spiritual gifts are used to draw people and they see Christ in me. Kindness. Like we're told when we're little, treat people the way you want to be treated. It's so, so, so simple. But guess what? It's so much harder to do as you grow up. In the workplace, there's this thought that you need to be tough, you need to be resilient, and you need to make sure you push back when you're pushed. Do not be a pushover in the workplace. I feel like people say that a lot. Make sure people know where you stand on everything. But do you know what? Jesus wasn't a pushover, but yet He still remained kind. And there's a difference with being between being those two. Kindness does not equal weakness. And we have to eliminate that thought from our minds. Being Extending a word of kindness does not mean that you are weak. It means that you've chosen to take the higher ground, to have a standard that others will not have in the workforce. Make time for your colleagues, your employees. Show them that you actually care about them as individuals, not just about the job you're doing, but the people that do it with you. Goodness. This word is now overused. Good boy, good job, had a good day. We talk about good a lot. But when we look at the Bible definition of good, it actually means holy, pure and righteous. So literally goodness means godliness. So we have to reframe our thinking and say, me being good, God equals God's goodness. And God's goodness is infinite. It doesn't change regardless of circumstances. The job I'm in, I hate it. I don't like this person. It doesn't matter. God's goodness is in you regardless. 
So like I said, literally goodness is godliness, but godliness is not a dirty word. And sometimes it's been made to in the church circles. So stop calling people goody goodies when they don't swear, drink, make rude comments, gossip, watch certain movies. Stop doing that because you know why you're doing it. And I'm gonna be harsh because this is me. Whenever I've done this to people, I'm soon convicted afterwards because their standards make me uncomfortable because they're living on a different level than what I've been doing. And I'm gonna be completely honest with you. That's the reason we tell people you're a goody goody, not because we actually think that, it's because they're doing something that we're not. So stop it, please stop it. Let's encourage people who have tried to lift their standards. If they've said, you know, I can't drink anymore, say good on you, I will do the same with you. I won't cause you to fall. I won't cause you to stumble in something that you struggle with. Let's support each other better. Do you know what? The opposite is also true. When people have judged me in that way, especially in the workplace, I often feel that need to explain it away. Oh, I don't do that and make it more palatable for them. When inside my spirit's saying, it's just wrong. That's why I don't do it, it's wrong. But we've become so conditioned to this world that we have to word things in a nice way. We can't say what our standards are for fear of offending people, that the standards may not be the standards they keep. So ask God to give you wisdom in how to share your standards without becoming across as, I'm so much better. I don't watch shows like that, you know. I only watch G-rated stuff, you know. Don't be that person, but also don't be the person that judges those people that says, like, that's not for me. You know what? Faithfulness is another one. And I love this word. Be a faithful employee. You know, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be educated to be faithful. Faithfulness is literally commitment to the job, to be there on time, early if you can, to give 100% to the task that's been given you to do. There is no excuse to be unfaithful in employment, I don't think, unless you've got a good reason for me. You can tell me after, don't tell me now. I work with two education assistants and these, these two are so good at their jobs that they do things for me that I haven't even asked for. It's like they can read my mind and I'm often amazed at them. I have to tell them to go home because they don't like to finish, like leave tasks unfinished. So what does that mean for me? For me, their faithfulness means complete trust in their ability and their character. They go hand in hand. I trust them in their job, but I also trust their character because they are showing me that they are faithful to the job and to me too. It also means I don't wanna lose them. So I'm going to write glowing performance management for these two people and request them again next year. So faithfulness ensures that you're going to keep your job, that people are going to want you around because you're a faithful employee. Like I said, it doesn't take much to be faithful, just the commitment to be there, to show up and to do the work assigned to you. Faithfulness is something we're taught in church. We come regularly to church. We've committed to the house of God. We say, I'm on roster this week. I cannot miss my turn to preach, my turn to sing, my turn to serve, whatever it is. The church has set us up well to be faithful servants. Because being a disciple of Christ, that's what it means, isn't it? To faithfully follow our Jesus, to faithfully work in the job He's given us, to faithfully serve a boss that we may not like most of the time or a job that we see is meaningless. Be faithful regardless. Gentleness. You know, in Matthew, it says, Christ said, I take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Christ makes a connection here between gentleness and humility. And that's an important connection to make because like kindness, gentleness is seen as a weakness. They're a gentle soul, like as if there's something wrong with them. Be careful with that person. 
Rather, this says that gentleness means that you don't have the pride in saying, I'm better than you and I'm gonna give a harsh response because I don't get what you're saying. Gentleness takes the position of, no, I'm here to serve. I am humble enough to hear your point of view and work alongside you and actually care about the person you are. Gentleness is underrated in the workforce. It's something we have to question ourselves. When people ask us something, I think this is the biggest problem sometimes in the workforce is how people talk to each other. A gentle answer every time will diffuse the situation. But if you respond in like, if someone's attacking you and you attack back, it is on. (laughs) It is, you've seen it in the workplace, haven't you? You have two characters that have no ability to be gentle with each other and it fires up. One person remains calm and takes a gentle approach and usually you can diffuse the situation. Not always, there's psychos in the world, so, you know, keep that in mind too. But hopefully most people you work with aren't on that that end of the spectrum. (laughs) So question yourself, did I treat that colleague with gentleness? Did I treat that employee with gentleness? When they came to me struggling, was I there and provided a good, gentle response? Or did I brush them off? Did I say, get on with it, get over it? Whatever wordings you use, question yourself in how you speak in the workplace. Gentleness does not equal weakness. Please challenge yourself if you thought that. Okay, if you're macho or if you're a strong woman, whatever it is, make sure you understand that being gentle is a strength. It really is to be gentle in a world that we're living in. Lastly, last one, self-control. This is what our world is lacking big time. In our children, in our adults, we see a lack of self-control. People do what they want to do what pleases them. They feel that in the workplace, everybody needs to hear their point of view and they need to hear it now. They want every need accommodated. And guess what? The needs that are accommodated are the voices that are the loudest, the people that complain the most, the people that say they're out of control, no one's listening to me. We try and appease those people. But Christ says different. He says, you have the ability to control yourself, your words, your actions, your emotions, because I live in you. So there's a difference. You have a helper with you constantly. So before you go to speak, is it kind? Is it gentle? Is it what you're meant to be saying? Or is it harsh? Are you out of control because your emotions run high? It manifests in the workplace on the daily because no one considers people around them. We all want what we want for ourselves. We live in a very selfish world. So if we can stop and consider those around us, that will obviously control what we are about to do and say. If we understand whatever comes out of our mouth affects those in the room. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to engage with us so we don't just say and do whatever we feel because that's easy to do. It's easy to say what you feel, to do what you feel. It takes a lot more strength and a lot more self-control to actually stop yourself from doing that. Listen carefully to the Holy Spirit, especially when He tells you to shut up. The Holy Spirit will. He'll say, no, just don't speak anymore. And that's okay to be told that. We don't tell our kids to shut up, but we tell them sometimes to just stop talking because we know what's going to happen if they do keep talking. So I guess what I'm saying is put the fruit of the Spirit to work actively in your life. Don't just see it as a list and a character trait to have on a Sunday or with other Christians. Understand that those skills are transferable. Those, the Spirit goes with you where you are. He's your helper. If you don't think you're capable of doing one of those things, ask Him to make you capable, to speak through you, to take over when needed, to give you those prompts that you need. Use the Holy Spirit as an advantage. View your job as your ministry. Please see it as a gift that God has given you, that you get to work in a world that's broken, that needs Jesus. It's something I've been thinking about and praying about lately. And I've I've written here, if you have a genuine desire to become like Christ, He's always going to honour that. Don't underestimate the power of God, the power of saying, Holy Spirit, I struggle in this area, would you help me? 
Would you speak words of life into my spirit as I go to work? When I get there, would you remind me of what you've spoken? Use it for your, for your good and for the others around you. Our jobs are important. They're given to us by God. Even if you feel that what you're doing is not making a difference, can I tell you that it is? It doesn't matter what job you're doing. You are the light of Christ and you bring that to work or you don't bring it to work each day. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.